morning. So good to see all of you today. And welcome to Fort Carolina. If you're a first-time guest, I want to introduce myself. I'm Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a joy of my life uh, to serve this congregation and to have you with us. And at the end of our service, I'll be at the back where it says, what is your next step? And I would love to personally meet you and put a name with a face and thank you for being here with us today. So I would love to have that honor right after our service. But we're starting a new series, as you can see, called How to Study the Bible. And I hope this study is helpful uh, for all of us today. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I hope this is going to be a practical study, and I'm going to encourage you to be here uh, each week this month. In fact, the Barna Research Group did a multi-year study and discovered that 62% of the people in our community say they want to read the Bible more. That was comprised of people who attend church regularly and those who do not. But the majority of people right here in our community want to read the Bible more Another study revealed that 87% of people in our churches want to understand the Bible more. And so that's why we're doing this study called How to Study the Bible. Because we're also noticing another discouraging trend. And that is the number of occasional Bible readers in America is on the decline. In the last generation, the number of occasional Bible readers has declined by 20%. That's the equivalent of 700 people a day putting their Bible down and not picking it up again. If that trend continues by the year 2040, less than two-thirds of Americans will have any connection to the Bible. And so I think one of the reasons a lot of people stop reading the Bible is because it seems so hard for them to understand, or perhaps it seems irrelevant to their daily life, or maybe they just don't really see the value of it. And then, of course, there are people who say, well, the Bible's not really anything other than a piece of literature, and it's not God's Word, it's not inspired, therefore, I'm not really interested in reading that any more than I'm interested in reading A Tale of Two Cities. And so I get that. But that doesn't change the fact that a majority of Americans still want to read the Bible more and say they want to understand it better. And so I hope this study will help you do that. And to help you, I'm going to give you a simple acrostic to kind of lay out a simple Bible study method. And it's the word SOAP, S-O-A-P. S stands for Scripture. We want to help you understand uh, how important it is and the benefits of reading the Scriptures. And that's what we're going to talk about today, by the way. We're going to talk about the S in this acrostic, Scriptures. Uh, What are the benefits of reading the Bible? The O in the acrostic stands for observation. So whenever you're reading the scriptures, what do you see? What is it saying to you? What are the people, the places, the events, the words, the cultural setting, the context? So we're going to help you understand how to read your Bible and observe what's really there. Only then can you move to the A in the Bible study method. A stands for application. Too often we want to open the Bible and say, what does it mean to me? But first you have to ask, what does it mean? before you can then apply it to your personal life. And so we're going to talk about the importance of application when it comes to reading and studying the Bible. And then P is not really last and not least. Um, That is prayer. A prayerful response to the Word. Really, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to pray before and during and after your study of God's Word to understand it, to apply it to your life, and to actually live out the principles that we learn from God. And I'm convinced that there are two types of people who ought to read the Bible. 
Uh, first type of people are those who are followers of Jesus. Any followers of Jesus here, you, you follow him as your Lord and Savior, and you want to learn more about him, well then, I think you're probably with me on this one, that uh, out of all the people in the world who ought to read the Bible, it should be followers of Jesus. After all, it is through the revealed scriptures, especially the gospel accounts from eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, that we even know who Jesus is and know what he said and know what he did. And so we want to know more about him, and we want to see the whole context of God and his purposes in the life, in our life and in our world. So we want to know more about God through the Bible. And so this study is for you who are followers of Jesus. But, you know, there's a second type of person who should read the Bible. Those who believe the Bible is God's word, and then secondly, those who don't. Uh, those who aren't followers or those who don't believe it's anything other than a book. You, too, ought to read the Bible. Now, now some of you, perhaps, are in that category. You just don't really believe the Bible is anything special. It's just another book. Um, and maybe you once believed, but now you don't. Maybe you went to college and a uh, English professor or history professor or religion professor said, your Bible is full of myths and legends and fables. It stole from cultures all around uh, the Jewish people and it's been changed over the centuries. And four weeks into college, you lost your faith and you lost your confidence in the scripture. And you ought to read it. If, if you say you don't believe it, you ought to know why you don't believe it. So I'm going to challenge you. Come this week and come this month as we learn how to study the Bible. Or maybe you never believe the Bible. Sometimes people will tell me the Bible is filled with contradictions and errors. And I'll say, really? Where are they? Show me those. And they can't find them. They, they, they just heard that. Uh, they, they saw a YouTube video that said that. And so they, they thought that must be true. But they've never really read it for themselves. And listen, I'm not going to say that you will ever be changed in your conviction that the Bible is nothing more than literature, but you owe it to yourself to know this piece of literature that has changed human history unlike any other piece of literature in the world today. And so we welcome you. We are thrilled that you're here going along with us on this study. So today I want to talk to you about Scripture and what are the benefits of studying the Bible. I believe there are two major benefits of studying the Bible. Now, there's many more, but we, we're just going to focus on two today. And really, I'm just going to focus on one today because of time. But one of the main benefits of, of reading the Bible is God gave us his word to help us, to, to give you help. And, and, and what I've done today is I've provided for you on fcbc.life, the sermon notes. Uh, so you can go on any phone or web browser and go to fcbc.life, click on sermon notes. You can follow me. But I'm also going to put up, up on the screen for you today as well. And the first scripture I want to read is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is written by Paul, the apostle. And he's writing it to a man named Timothy who was a preacher, a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And so he says to him, all scripture is inspired by God. And by the way, when it says inspired, it means literally, it's the only place in the New Testament, it means to be breathed out by God. It means that Scripture, the Bible that we have today, which is not really a book, it's really a collection of 66 books, uh, but we call it the Bible. So all Scripture was breathed out by God. Yes, God used about 40 human authors over a period of 1,500 years in different cultural contexts and settings. But when it's all said and done, you trace the origin back to God, that God is the one who revealed himself to us through what we now call the collection 
of the scriptures. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable. It, it's, it has benefits. It is profitable for several things. First of all, he says profitable for teaching. Now, this doesn't mean just any kind of teaching. When Paul says this, when he writes this, he's meaning the Bible is profitable for teaching you about God, about the truths of God. It's profitable to teach you about doctrine. And so if you want to know God, you've got to know God through his word. And it's profitable for that. You'll never be let down if you say, I want to know more about God. Or I even want to know if God exists. Well, guess what? Good news. All scripture was inspired by God. And it's beneficial to you to teach you about God. And he also says it's profitable for rebuking. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Rebuking means when I believe something wrong about God or wrong about life or wrong about good and evil, that the Bible will point that out. And often, I don't like reading the Bible, not because I don't understand it. I don't like what I do understand. It convicts me about some things in my life that aren't appropriate, some beliefs that I need to let go of, some behaviors that aren't uh, pleasing to God. And it rebukes me. It convicts me that I need to change my life. And that's a good thing because God loves me and he loves you as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Like a good parent, God's going to come alongside and say, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, no, no, don't touch that hot stove. That's not right. Don't do that. Don't run and play in the street. Don't hit your sister. I'm just having flashbacks to parenting just so you'll know. But, But God often rebukes, and the Bible is good for that, not because God is on your case, he's on your side, and he wants you to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the scripture is also profitable for correcting. I don't just need God to tell me where I'm wrong, I need God to restore me to what is right. I need God to put me on the right path. I need God God to help me live in a way that is pleasing to him, and the scripture's are awesome to correct me, to put me on the right track, and for training in righteousness, for training, for instructing. The word Paul uses in the Greek language in which he's writing speaks of raising up a child and teaching a child her ABCs and one, two, threes. And God comes alongside of us and he trains us. He teaches us the basics of what it means to be right with him, through our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then how to live right as followers of Jesus in every arena of life. Here's the point I'm trying to make based on 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16, is that Scripture is beneficial to you. It's profitable for you. Do yourself a favor and read it. He continues in verse 17. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for these things. Why? Why did God give us the Bible? So that the man of God... Now, he's not referring to preachers here. He's not referring to ministers. This is a technical phrase for talking about the people of God, you and me, the family of God. God gave us the Bible so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a good plan for your life. God's got a good plan and a good purpose for you. And through the scriptures, you'll find everything you need to know God to trust God through faith in Jesus, and to live for God. Everything you need is found here. And so you will do yourself a favor by reading the Bible. God gave us his word 
to help us, to give us help. But here's where I want to focus our remaining few minutes. And this is my heart. This is my passion for you. And it just comes from a pastor's heart. I love you. And I want you to understand why you should study the Bible. God not only gave you the Bible to give you help, he gave you the Bible to give you hope. To give you hope. This is not just about head knowledge. This is about God coming alongside of you in everyday living. And when life gets you down, he lifts you up. When you are ready to lose your hope, he inspires your hope. And the more you learn about him and his faithfulness, we just sang about it. God, you've been faithful, and I know you will be faithful in the future. The more we know about this faithful God, the more we find endurance, encouragement, and hope. Don't, don't take my word for it. Here's what Paul says in a, in a letter he wrote to Christians in the city of Rome in the first century. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He says, For whatever was written in former days, he's talking about the Old Testament, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So we're New Testament believers, but even the Old Testament was written for us. And whatever it was, whether it's Old Testament or for us today, 2,000 years later, the New Testament, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Paul is writing to Christians who were living in the epicenter of an empire that was opposed to Jesus Christ. They had put him to death on a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem. And many of those Christians living in the city of Rome were finding themselves under persecution by Rome because they declared their faith in Jesus without apology. And rather than declaring, Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord, Christians declared, Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. And the Roman government didn't know what to do with these Christians. And the way they lived and loved. And often they found themselves being persecuted by their own government. And Paul says, hang in there. You're not the first to be persecuted. You're not the first to, to almost lose your hope and your confidence in God. Everything that has been written by God in the scriptures was for your instruction. So that through endurance, not giving up, but hanging in there. And through the encouragement we find in scripture that God has been faithful. He will be faithful. We can have hope. We can have confidence that when life gets you down and out, you look up and God shows you there's a way up and out by faith. And whenever I start thinking about hope, I, I instinctively turn to one of my favorite passages of scripture in the New Testament. My favorite verse is John 3, 16. Uh, my second favorite, we just sang it, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So thank you for singing that, praise team. But my favorite passage is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to take you there now. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let me set the context for you before we jump into this. And it's always important to know the context of what you're reading in the Bible. In the context of the book of Hebrews, it was written by an unknown author. We don't know if it was the Apostle Paul or someone else. We don't know. But 
This unknown author is writing to Jewish Christians in the first century. These are Jews who have come to realize that the Old Testament prophets who promised a Messiah, a Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords had actually come and he was none other than Jesus. At first they had rejected Jesus, but now they have received him as their personal Messiah, their Savior and their Lord. And as a result of that, they are now joining the rest of Christians in being persecuted by the Roman government, but they're also now being persecuted by their fellow Jews who did not, by and large, believe Jesus was the Messiah. And they considered it blasphemy for you to proclaim that a crucified criminal, in their minds, Jesus was nothing more than a crucified criminal, was the Messiah. <gasps> blasphemy. And they did not believe in the resurrection. So the writer of Hebrews is writing a letter to encourage these Jewish Christians. Because of the persecution, they have been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, fleeing for their lives, going into new cities, new communities, and having to start all over. And so this letter would be circulated throughout the empire to all these Jewish Christian communities. And this letter would be read when they gathered together for worship like we've done today. And one of the reasons he's writing this is because they're this close to losing hope. They're saying, we turned our faith to Jesus, and rather than life getting better, it's gotten worse. Rather than life getting easier, it's gotten harder. Rather than us gaining praise, we've gained persecution. And they're this close to losing hope. Maybe, maybe you've never been persecuted for your faith, but I think everyone in this room, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, knows what it's like to be brought low. I'm living for Jesus. Why is my child on her deathbed? I'm living for Jesus. Why did I just lose my job? I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. Why am I suffering? And sometimes you just start getting discouraged. And one of the reasons God gave you his word is to give you hope. So the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now let me pause there. What he's doing is he's using the illustration. He's wanting them to use their sanctified imagination and see themselves as runners on a race course surrounded by people in the grandstands. So you're a Christian you're following Jesus. You're living your life by faith. You're trying to run the race of life that God has called you to run. And you're in your lane. And he says, sometimes it's not easy. It's the agony of the race. But, but with your sanctified imagination, see something. See that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's picturing the grandstands being filled with people. Who are those people? He's already written about them in what we would call chapter 11, the great hall of fame of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, he starts telling the stories of the Old Testament people of God. Some of them named, many of them unnamed. And he uses their lives as illustrations of what it means to live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so he's been using them from the Old Testament to illustrate this point. And now in chapter 11, he says, they're in the grandstands of faith. All those saints of God from the Old Testament, they've run their race. They've been where you've been. 
They know what it's like to struggle and to stumble and to be tired and to be this close to losing hope. But where are they now? They're in the grandstands of glory. We are compassed about. We are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. And it's not a single cloud on a blue sky. No, it is a horizon-filling cloud as high as the eye can look, up and up, row after row, tier after tier, filled with the Old Testament saints of God. I don't know if you remember, but August 18th, 1995, Jacksonville Jaguars made history. One of the few times we've made history, but we made it. On August 18, 1995, Jacksonville Jaguars became the first NFL franchise to play their first game in their first season as a brand new team in a brand new stadium. In a record time, a contractor in 19 or, or more subcontractors erected what we now, or what we used to call, what was it then, Alltel Stadium? What was it? Thank you. It used to be the Gator Bowl too, by the way. And on that opening day, over 70,000 people packed the stadium to cheer on their team. Now, you've heard it said that a, a football team wants their fans to come out and to fill the stadium because it gives them a home field advantage. That when you're on the field, you can be inspired, you can be spurred on, you can be encouraged, even if you're down by your own fans in the stadium cheering you on. It gives you a home field advantage. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, I know you're hurting. I know you've been scattered. I know it doesn't feel like you've got a home field advantage if all you do is look around you. But with your eyes of faith, look up. You are surrounded by people who have been where you are. They've run their race. And they're now sitting in the grandstands of glory. And they're witnesses. They're cheering you on. The Greek word he uses for witnesses is the word marturon. It doesn't necessarily mean as much as what they see as what they say. They're witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses. They're testifying to us. They're saying something to us. And what are they saying? Are they rebuking you for losing faith? Are they booing you for not doing as good as someone else on the race course? No. In fact, you know what they're saying by looking at who's up there. In Hebrews 11, he mentions some of them. He mentions Noah. He mentions Abraham. He mentions Jacob. He mentions Samson. He mentions David. Those are the ones watching you run your race, and they're saying something to you. Now, these aren't, these aren't perfect people. These are flesh and blood and bone people like me and like you. Now, the first thing you think of is, I know what Noah's saying. The first thing the guy did after God saved him and his family from the flood is he got drunk. Abraham twice lied about his relationship to his wife because he feared an earthly king rather than trusting God. Jacob, his name means trickster. He would swindle you out of something if he had half a chance. You couldn't trust Jacob any further than you could see him. Samson, the mighty warrior, fought God's battles by day and broke God's laws with every woman he could find by night. 
and David. Saw Bathsheba taking a bath, lusted after her, committed adultery with her, and trying to cover it up, had her husband killed in battle, trying to cover his sin. Those are the people in the grandstands of glory, and they're saying something to you. You say, how'd they make it? (laughs) How did they ever get to heaven? It's because we're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by being religious. You're not saved by giving money to the church. You're not saved by anything you do, but by putting your faith in what God has done for you through Jesus. And here's what they would say to you. If with your ears of faith you could hear them cheering you on this morning, Noah would say, yeah, I got drunk, but I got sober again. Abraham would say, I finally learned how to trust God and tell the truth Jacob would say, I wrestled with God. He humbled me. He broke me, and I was never the same, but he gave me a new name. I became Israel, the prince of God. Samson would say to you, yes, I struggled, but at the end of my life, the power of God overcame the passions of my flesh, and God did a mighty work through my life. And David would say, even in the end, I became a man after God's own heart. They would say to you, when you're down and out, look up and God will say there's a way up and out by faith. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand. They're cheering you on. They're saying, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. It's not about your faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness. And dear friend, you wouldn't know any of what I just told you if God had not taken the initiative to reveal his faithfulness to us through the scriptures. That's why Paul would say, everything that was written was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. So wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that gives us encouragement. That gives us confidence. That gives us hope. And that's why the writer of Hebrews continues in verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. They ran their race. Let us therefore run our race. There are going to be some good things that may be slowing us down in our faith with God. And maybe we need to put those things aside so that we can run our race and keep our eyes on God. Could be a bass boat or a lake lot or a deer stand. And if it's coming between us and God, maybe we need to say, you know what? I need God more. I need the Bible more. I need to spend more time with God than in my hobbies If it's a good thing, lay it aside. And sometimes it's a sinful thing. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles our feet. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You can't run their race. They're already in heaven. And they can't run your race. You're down here. Let us run our race. And the word race in the Greek is agonai. It's where we get our English word agony. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. There are going to be difficult days and nights. But let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. The Bible is one of the main ways we can learn more about our faithful God. 
And how that if he was faithful in their lives in the past, I can trust him to be faithful in my life in the present. And rather than giving up, I find a way up and out by faith. And it's through the scriptures. That's how you really build a relationship with God, is spending time with him. Having a conversation with him. Prayers when you talk to God. Reading the Bible is when God talks to you. Whenever Don and I were dating, she lived here. I lived in Georgia, in Valdosta. And so on my day off, once in a while, I would drive two hours, pick her up at the insurance agency where she worked on uh, Merrill Road, take her to lunch at, was it Ryan's Steakhouse, Don? I can't remember. And then I'd bring her back an hour later, and then I would drive two hours home. Why would I do that? To spend time with her. I invested hours in just spending time with her. Sometimes we would just talk on the phone. And listen to each other. Talk about each other's problems and what we were dealing with. And sometimes if we ran out of things to say, just listen to each other breathe. (laughs) You know you've done it if you've been in love, right? (laughs) And how do we get to know God? And how do we build a relationship with God? And how do we find encouragement from God? Where do we gain wisdom for the struggles we're facing in life or the decisions we're facing in life Well, we we have a relationship with him like we do anybody else. We spend time together, we listen and talk to each other, and we take the advice of anyone who's got our best interest at heart. And that's why we read the Bible. It gives us encouragement and endurance, which leads to hope. God gave us his word to give us hope. But he continues with, I believe, in verses 2 and 3, the key here. I want you to know something. Really, this book... There's really 66 books. Old Testament, New Testament is really about one person. It's about God revealed through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says, verse 2, looking to Jesus. As you run your race, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, so you will not grow weary and lose hope. The writer of Hebrews is saying, once you've glanced up into those grandstands and received that spiritual encouragement from those who have run their race before you and who are now cheering you on, don't get your eyes on them only. And don't just get your eyes on yourself. And don't just get your eyes on the other runners on the race course with you. If you look too long into the grandstands, you'll become distracted. If you look at yourself, you will become disheartened. If you look at the other runners on the race course, you'll become discouraged because they have Achilles' heels just like you do. But if you will look up and gaze at Jesus, you'll be devoted to run your race. After all, he's the right focus. Looking unto Jesus. Glance up there, but look at Jesus. Put your focus on him Because he's the author and finisher. He's the originator and the perfecter. He was the first one on the race course. And he has now finished his race. And is up in those grandstands cheering you on. Look to him. 
And Jesus would say to you, when I was down here, life wasn't always easy for me, even the Son of God, the Son of Man. But I went to a bloody cross and I endured the shame and endured the cross and I despised the shame. But I had faith in my heavenly Father that on the other side of groaning, there would be glory. On the other side of crucifixion, there would be coronation. On the other side of death, there would be resurrection. And on the other side of Golgotha's hill would be you. People saved by my life, death, and resurrection. And because of that, I could endure the cross. I could despise the shame. And I have now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. When life makes you feel you're down and out, look to God. You'll see there's always a way up and out by faith. That's what Jesus wants you to know. And you won't know him unless you know his word. You won't have that relationship with him that he wants you to have unless you know his word. Now, I know that there are going to be a million questions. I'm going to try my best this month to answer as many of those questions that you may have about, is the Bible reliable? Can we trust it? Has it changed over the centuries? But there's no way that I can get into all of that. In the fall, we're going to offer a course. I'm going to have to limit it to 40 people, but we're, and, and we may get other people to help us. But if we do one course, it's going to be limited to 40 people, and we're going to, we're going to dig deep. We're going to dig deep into some of those questions that you may have, rightly so, about the Bible. I get that. But I wanted you to see the big picture first. Why should you study the Bible? Because God gave you his word to give you hope. And to point you to Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Inside of your folder, your worship folder, there was a sheet. And really, it just takes the SOAP and just breaks it out into boxes so that maybe this week for your homework, you'll make photocopies of that or you can go to that website and download your own copies. And for future Bibles, study, use that in your personal devotional life. Maybe to practice this week, you'll take the Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, and you'll just fill out that sheet. You'll fill out, maybe where it says, the box says scripture. You'll just rewrite the scripture, even maybe using your favorite translation. Or maybe a different translation than you normally use, just so you can start seeing things in a different light. So write it out. And then where it says observation, what do you see there? This is not what does it mean to you. No, observation is, okay, it says a great cloud of witnesses. What is that about? Who are those people? Oh, he's referring to the people he just mentioned in chapter 11. What does that word witness mean? Let me get online and look that up in the Greek. Oh, that means marturon. It means one who says something, an attestator. Okay, so they're saying something to me. What are they saying? Whatever it is, it encourages me to run my race. So you're just observing. And then you get to application. I've been discouraged, but you know what? I need to make reading the Bible a regular part of my life so that I can learn more about the faithfulness of God in the past so I can trust the faithfulness of God in my present. And then what's my prayerful response? God, today, in just these 10 minutes we've been together or 15 minutes or whatever it is, thank you for helping me understand your word and here's what I want to commit to you today. And write your prayerful response. If that tool helps you, wonderful. But that's your homework this week is to start reading the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you need to call me. Call the office this week. I promise you, we have a Bible for you. If you want a, a Bible that you can put on your phone or your iPad or whatever you use, go and get the YouVersion app 
Y-O-U, U version app, one of the best tools you'll ever have. Next week, Lord willing, I'll give you a book of a list of recommended resources to study God's word more. But remember, God gave you his word to give you hope. And it's my prayer that you'll find it in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had today. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures, through the lives of people over the centuries. And we thank you that we had this collection of books we call the Bible. And we pray that you would find those of us who are followers of Jesus to be more committed to reading it on a regular basis. But not just reading it, but to studying it so that we can apply it to our lives. Because you gave it to us to help us and to give us hope. Father, if there's someone in this room who's never received Jesus, they're not sure about all this, I pray they'll keep coming and at least learn more about why we believe it to be such a special, unique book. And that even if they don't believe, they'll find some techniques that will help them to study the book with accuracy, in context, and to treat it fairly. Because so many people have never read it. They've rejected it, but they don't really know why or what's in it. And so, Father, if there's someone on the fence, or maybe they're just not a believer, I pray they'll come back and join us in this study. And, Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus, who did endure that cross and the shame, and he died for us, and he rose from the dead, and he is at your right hand. And today, with ears of faith and with eyes of faith, we hear him and we see him cheering us on. Saying, don't lose hope. Look at what happened with me. Whatever you're going through, I promise you, there's always hope. Because God, if you could do that in the life of Jesus, there's nothing you can't do for us. Father, if there's someone that wants to receive him today, may they just say to you in prayer, silently in their heart, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, a sinner. I believe he rose from the dead, and today I turn from my sin, and I put my faith and my trust in him as my Savior and my Lord. And I take him at his word when he promised, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And now, having been saved from the penalty of my sin, I want to learn more about Jesus. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in all of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.